Hello, welcome to Biblioscola, a podcast where we discuss various biblical topics and try to give you a little bit of Sunday school for whatever day of the week you're listening to us on. On this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the Apostles' Creed. We're going to look at its history, why it's called the Apostles' Creed, and then we're going to uh, talk about what it says and how it relates to the Bible. Please join us for our discussion. Hello, guys. Welcome to Biblioscola. I'm Matt. And I'm Pastor Adrian Essigman. And we're glad that you guys are joining us once again. Matt's a um, pastor, too. Actually, Matt's a reverend. <laughs> I know. I was at his ordination council. <laughs> oh, dear. That is true. That is true. Um, anyways, guys, uh, we're going to be uh, looking at the Apostles' Creed and all of that stuff. But why don't we start off, as I think is always appropriate, with a little bit of Scripture and so we're going to read 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verse 8, down to the end of the chapter. Uh, so please join us. I'll be reading out of the uh, English Standard Version. Uh, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us. And called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagias and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesphorus, for he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service service he rendered at Ephesus, the word of the Lord. Hmm. All right. So today we're going to be talking about uh, the Apostles' Creed. And, and it's stemming in part, I think, kind of from a little bit of a discussion that we had last week. Well, yeah, primarily uh, we had a listener uh, ask about it, so... So we're going to talk a little bit about the creed. Um, we're going to uh, hopefully give you guys a, a good understanding of what it's about, some of the history, and um, and and really what are the uh, basic but primary doctrines that um, are included in the creed. So one of the first things that we should answer is when we say creed, what do we mean? Um, our English word creed actually comes from the Latin phrase that begins the Apostles' Creed. So the English phrase that begins the creed is, I believe, which is in Latin, credo. Uh, and so we just kind of transliterate that. That's a fancy way of saying we don't really translate it, and it becomes creed. Um, but a, I think a pretty good definition comes from the Encyclopedia of Christianity, which uh, gives us for creed as a, a creed is a concise statement of Christian doctrine typically produced by one of the councils. Now, for you guys that don't know what the councils are, it, there is a period throughout church history in which, as they're dealing with a variety of issues, the church, because it was 
in many ways more unified back then, although we are still unified in Christ to this day. Uh, but they had a series of councils in which members from across Christendom came. Wait, wait man, and, and, can I interrupt? I, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not a history buff like you, but I, I would comment that when you say that, you're, you have to understand, folks, that what he means is uh, there is one significant difference between us and them. There was no such things as Baptist and Methodist and stuff, unless I'm wrong. I mean, when did splinter groups really start to become an issue? I, I don't think it was for a while, was it? besides heretics. Well, that's a little bit of a complicated question, but for the most part, you're right. There weren't splinter groups. There was an Eastern-Western divide, but that didn't really divide-divide until, I'll say, about 1,000. Okay, so, so let's even say it lasted the 500. I mean, so much of the early church history, they think when they say Catholic Church and these old things— it's because they there was only one church as far as they were concerned. Yeah. And today, when you say church, I mean, even Baptists, I think back when I went to Bible college, I think I was taught there's like 70 kinds of Baptists. And that was then. I'm, I'm sure it may have gone up since then. And that's just one right. group. I mean, there's all there's Mennonite, there's Christian Missionary Alliance, there's Pentecostal, there is, and then there's variants of that. Uh, there uh-huh. are churches that are non-dom. There are all, uh, of course, your Presbyterians, your Methodists and stuff. And so, you know, when he says that, picture a, I don't know, a much larger group uh, than, than us, a, a kind of a different feel. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it, so you're, you are right. And, and, and real quick, when you bring up Catholic, that is important to realize that they weren't referring. Whenever you read the church fathers and they say Catholic, they, they don't mean the Roman Catholic Church. Um, their use of the Catholic meant universal. Um, and, and, but yeah, it, it's something that I think for, for modern people of the church, it's hard for us to recognize how unified the church used to be. Um, so anyways, they, they, they had these series of councils and, 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 and they're all important councils, but typically what they would do at the end of them is they would, they would do a, a statement of, okay, this is what we've, we've come to the discuss and this is the end result. And here's a simple, concise statement of belief, um, of which probably the most important of the those statements from those councils is what is known as the Nicene Creed, um, and we won't really talk much about that. But it, it it's not that different from the Apostles' Creed. Uh, in some churches, uh, particularly those uh, influenced somewhat from the Eastern side of Christendom, uh, will say instead of the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. Um. Uh, so, but uh, the so the Apostles' Creed um, is this creed that uh, legend says um, that sometime after Pentecost, uh, all the apostles uh, before they uh, went off to their separate uh, mission fields uh, got together and said, "Okay, let let's figure out what are the basic things." Uh, that we want to get down so that we all have the same consistent message before they went off. And they say that um, the the legend says that uh, each of the 12 apostles contributed one line to the apostles creed. And that's why we have it called the apostles creed. Um, Probably that's not what really happened, but I do think, uh, the Apostles' Creed as a whole does reflect New Testament Christianity, apostolic Christianity, uh, even if the words themselves don't ultimately come from the apostles. One of the things that kind of happened in the early church is you kind of had this process um, in which, so let's say Adrian uh, is someone who has just heard about this Jesus guy. And he's interested. And so he starts going to church. Um, and, and so uh, he, he's allowed to go to church and, and participate in the worship service. He's not allowed to take communion. 
Uh, he's not allowed a, a leadership position or anything. Um, and in the process of that, let's say that Adrian gets saved. I mean, that's a good thing, right? Um, so he gets saved and he begins the process of, okay, now I want to be baptized. And he's, he's now given the, the title of catechumen. Um, and then throughout a period. Whoa, what does that mean, was, catechumen? What does that mean? Uh, uh, it, it, oh, that, I'm sorry. I didn't a, mean to. I'm sorry. I just, no, I no, you, you're fine. Um, I never heard that before. No, you've never heard catechism. Is it based uh, on the catacombs? Is that what it is? Or it, it's um if you don't know the, folks, catech- uh, the reason I bring up the catacombs and not all the church I'm sure met in catacombs, but during intense persecution they did, right? Right, Matt? Some of them did anyway. Yeah, they, they, they met in uh they, they met in catacombs, uh and if not right in catacombs, graveyards, uh empty river, uh riverbeds because they'd be empty and, and d- deserted places. Uh, catechumen comes from the Latin, uh, from the Greek, really, meaning uh, basically one being instructed. Okay, cool. Um, Is that where catechism comes from? Or? Yes, okay. yes. Um, and, and, and basically that, that was the whole process of the catechumen, is you would... Uh, typically a year, maybe longer, be uh, given a series of classes in the in, in this is in the ancient church at least by the second uh, by 200 AD. Um, you'd go through this process, and at the end of it, when you were baptized before the baptism ritual, um, and, and you would be asked a series of questions: uh, Who is God? And you would say, God is uh create the you know the the father creator of heaven and earth and it would go through a series of things and you would answer this now one of the reasons they did this and 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 why the apostles creed and probably the earlier form known as the old roman creed would pop up is you had certainly by this time you see the beginnings of it for instance in john's day when john if you read the first three epistles of john He's dealing with a, a series of Christians who are so-called Christians who are messing with the Orthodox faith. Um, and so when you made certain statements, you could say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but they would mean something totally radically different if they were a Gnostic Christian. Um, so, for instance, just a real quick idea, as as Orthodox Christianity, we would say that Jesus uh, died for our sins in a literal death, um, whereas in Gnostic Christianity, uh, when in, in, in a lot of forms of Gnostic Christianity, Jesus didn't die, not not the messianic, not the God Jesus, the Christ, the 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 uh, um, Christ spirit left Jesus of Nazareth at the cross because Jesus of Nazareth wasn't, uh, he could die, but the Christ spirit is the one that really saved us. And it showed us the path to, I don't know, salvation, depending on the Gnostic thing. And so one of the things you have in the apostles creed is that Jesus suffered, you know, under Pontius Pilate and he died. Um, And so when you made that statement at your, baptism or when you make it in repeating the apostles creed or something you're saying i believe in in the orthodox belief of christ actually physically uh feeling the pain at the cross and dying um and so it was it was a means of in, in simple but very important ways uh being pretty crystal clear on who was following uh mainstream Christianity, Orthodox Christianity. Um, should I define what Orthodox means? Sure. Uh, when I use the term Orthodox, what I mean is is in in very simple belief, uh, simple phrase is correct belief or right belief uh, versus heterodox or what we would say. Uh, heresy, heterodox being different belief. Um, 
And so when we talk about Christianity, which has come from the time of the New Testament up to modern times, those who have, because I think we're led by Jesus, I think that's very important to realize um, that uh, what is the true church has been led by a by the orthodox beliefs, those important faiths from the beginning of the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost up until modern times and really until Christ comes again. Um, uh, so real quick, uh, so, so the, the Apostles' Creed is probably uh, from, the, as we have it now, we have it, uh, what is called the traditional text, the received text, we have that in form from the fourth century, but it probably predates that. Um, and it's been used by the church, both uh, Catholic and Protestant, for, for the most part. Uh, you had some of what uh, the radical reformers, they kind of said, we're not sure about this, and that's the radical reformers. In case you guys are like, who in the world are the radical reformers? Uh, that's the Anabaptists, the Mennonites, the Amish. We're talking about much later yep. in history here. We're not talking yes. anywhere yes. near the early church. So, Right, right, right. But I'm just giving right. a sense of how long Apostles' Creed has been used. Because, um, uh, just, just so people that are listening understand, we're talking, this right. is during the Reformation, right? Or that, th th those people came yeah. about. I mean, there were probably splinter groups before that, but I mean, I don't know that we know of anyway. No, no, there were. I mean... Uh, Wycliffe predates the the Reformation, um, but we would call him a proto reformer. Um, but but so in any case, what I'm trying to say is really from the fourth century up to modern times, among uh, what we would call um, groups that we would identify, including Baptists, have made use of this creed um, in 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 worship and in doctrinal formation in in catechism. Uh, so it has a lot of history to it. So why don't we go ahead and if you guys have more questions on the history, you can always leave comments. But just so we don't go overboard, we'll leave it at that. OK, now you might be asking yourself, uh, is this actually from the apostles? Yeah, we don't know. And it's probably unlikely, but I don't know. I'm not saying that, it, you know, we don't know. And you might say, well, then if it's not in the Bible. Why did churches use the Apostles' Creed? And that's a great question. You get the same kind of question about church buildings, Sunday school. I mean, Sunday school's only been around, well, I used to say 150 years. It's actually, I think, more than that now. But anyway, it hasn't, it hasn't been around for thousands of years. It was started because of children not getting an education. <laughs> and so my, my point is not that church buildings are bad or Sunday school's bad. But my, my thing is, so you'll get people saying, look, I think we need to, you know, they, they just want to go back to whatever the Bible says. And that's great. We, we should. But I'm going to point out something to you. So my church has a doctrinal statement and a constitution. Now, you won't find either of those things in the Bible. In fact, my church is congregational rule, which I think that's a misnomer. I'm all for congregational rule. I think the actual term is a misnomer. But I'll get into that in a coffee break this week, talking about uh, the years it took me to really come to a comfortableness with the, the, that kind of church polity. But what I'm saying is church polity, uh, how many people should be part of a church body, what the deal is, how many pastors you should have, how much you should pay your pastor. Uh, in the New Testament, if we're being honest, this information is kind of vague. It's not that it's not there. It's just kind of vague. The Old Testament is... Real yeah. quick, if you don't mind me jumping in, I, I think it's important to realize that some of the reasons it's vague in the New Testament is they didn't have to answer some of those questions like we have to now. Well, maybe, but um, like, here, here's, let me give you a few examples. Like, we know exactly how to build the temple, or at least we know exactly what they did. We know exactly yeah. what the high priest wore. Oh, uh, we, I mean, literally, we could recreate, uh, we could, oh, was it the what's the plate with the stones, man? I can't think of it. The the high priest breastplate. Yeah, plate? is that what it is? The breastplate with the room and the thrum yeah. and all that, or that that's what was on his shoulders. Yeah, actually, yeah, was it the room and thrum on his shoulders? Or 
No, no, it was in a pocket okay. in the breastplate. Okay. So, bottom line, all I'm trying to say is we know a lot. Like, we know about their festivals, festival, festivals, uh, <laughs> when they were supposed to go up to Jerusalem, all kind of stuff in the Old Testament we are well aware of. Even what kind of sacrifices they were supposed to make, procedure. <laughs> you know, in the New Testament, I mean, I'm not saying we know everything from the Old Testament, but the New Testament, I mean, there's a lot of debate about a lot of things, like how you should run a church, how you should, if you should have a building and stuff. And I guess my point is, I think because the church was leaving a theocracy and was moving out into the entire world, I think that God made it flexible to fit cult, different cultures and things. So he gave, he gave, I mean, it's not like we don't have information how to run a church. I, I'm not saying that. And Matt's right. We kind of get our right. idea of a worship service from the old synagogue. I mean, which is fine. Uh, you know, we get, we get, you know, it's like he says, I mean, it's not like we just, the church is ex nihilo. It came out of Judaism, you, you know, so we have some structure there, but I guess what I'm saying is that, um, so having a doctrinal statement, let me, let me just give you one example. So I, I believe in the rapture, um, but you have to understand, like when I first came to my church, uh, they they were using an old statement of faith, really old one, which was, it was fine. It wasn't a bad statement of faith. But I asked them, I'm like, you know, this document really doesn't tell me a lot. Do you guys even believe in the tribulation period? What What is your deal? You know, what do you believe? And they were like, oh, we never even really thought about that. Well, it wasn't that they were dumb or anything. Uh, for a long time in Christianity in the United States, a lot of people believed in the tribulation period and the rapture uh, preterism post-millennialism is growing in strength. Uh, the last few, you know, I don't know, decades, Matt could probably give an exact. So, um, so today it's more important to add your doctrinal statement. Oh, we're a uh, pre-millennial or whatever, you know, and blah, 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 blah. Um, and why is that important? Well, because, you know, as time moves on more and more things need to be defined. Um, maybe that's a bad explanation, but so all I'm saying is then God gave us the freedom to build doctrinal statements, to write books about the Bible, to have mission agencies, Christian schools, Christian colleges, and things like that. Even though the Bible doesn't say thou shalt have a Bible college in thy Bible college, thou shall have seven teachers. You know, it doesn't say any of that stuff. Yeah. So I, I, I'm shot. I, okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I do think you're right, though, that the New Testament shows a flexibility that the Old Testament doesn't. Um, if you look throughout uh, the epistles and and the book of Acts, you do it, it shouldn't take you too long to realize that Paul and James are 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 two different types of leaders, and and we throw Peter in too, of course, but they're different types of leader. And, and, and there are different kind of flavors to the way that they're doing church. It's not that they're, the, the, their core doctrine is different, because Paul makes a point that um, in, in Galatians, when, when he went down and visited uh, with the Jerusalem church, they're like, hey, yeah, you're, you're teaching what we're teaching. But I, I think uh, very much in Jerusalem, you had with James kind of at the helm of more uh, Jewish style of of not just worship, but kind of structured. Uh, you see more, you see elders mentioned a lot when, when you're in Jerusalem, for instance. And um, you, you might see elders kind of talked about here or there within the Pauline epistles, but not to the same extent. Um, and I think that part of that was the flexibility. Paul's going to Gentiles. They don't have the same uh, background, especially as Paul gets further away from uh, Gentiles that have any sort of Jewish background, such as when he's dealing with the people in Greece and, and talking, uh, for instance, uh, to the statue of the unknown God. Um, but but uh, anyways, just to, I, I think you are right about there. There's a bit of flexibility there that wasn't in the Old Testament. Yeah. And uh, like even today um, at a business meeting, sometimes we'll conduct a church vote. Um I don't know that they voted anywhere in the Bible in the New Testament. You know, uh, I don't know that it's wrong that right. we do vote, though. Um, 
So anyway, all that to say, I know you're saying, well, you've given me so many more questions. Well, again, maybe I'll help you out. Um, I still think anything we do should be based on the Bible and should not uh, be against the Bible and should use what we see in the Bible as our support. And like I said, this week, I hope to do a coffee break where I show the biblical basis of uh, misnamed congregational rule and how I've come to that conclusion and why I think it is a very biblical way. I wasn't always as convinced, but I do think it's a very biblical way to run a church, but it's not always very well explained. So hopefully you'll find that neat. Hopefully you look forward to that. So. Or look forward to very strongly disagreeing with me. So whatever you want to do. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into it. Oh, so I know Matt talked a lot in the history, and we did that for a reason. Matt's That's Matt's baby in a lot of ways. Um, but to be honest with you, he has a lot of good information just on the very beginning of the Apostles' Creed, and I would be remiss not to let him cover some of that. And then I'll pick it up and and, uh, and cover uh, some of the later parts, and he'll be able to jump in. Matt, you want to uh, give a go here at the beginning of the Apostles' Creed? I'm going to read you, I believe in God, the yeah. Father, maker of heaven and earth. Matt, go for it. All right. So uh, the first statement um, is important. It, it mentions uh, what we would call in theological terms, uh, theology proper, belief in God, uh, paterology, belief in the Father, um, and uh, uh, belief in creation and all those important things. Um Belief in the Father, I think, is very important in part because it reminds us that as believers, um, let me take a step back. It reminds us, firstly, that as uh, we, we are, as all of us are creatures, all of us are creations, that we're all creations of God. Uh, so, for instance, Acts 17, uh, 28 tells us. Um, and, and this is just the King James version because that's what I happen to have up, um, for in him, we live and move and have our beings, uh, have our being as certain also, if your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. That's Paul talking there. Uh, and so as, as creations of God, uh, he's certainly our father, but in a special way as believers, we have been adopted into the family of God. We're able to call God Abba Father, and I think that's a very important uh, thing that we can do as Christians. Um, Romans eight twelve to 16 really talks about that, um, but there's a number of other passages uh, that talks about our adoption into the family of God, joint heirs of Christ, uh, Galatians 4, 1 to 7, Ephesians 1, 14. Uh, as always, if, if we go through a list of verses and you guys are like, I didn't catch that, and you don't feel like rewinding, leave a comment and we'll make sure to pop them up. Um, but I think belief in God the Father is very important. Um, belief in Almighty. Uh, one thing I read said that the what we translate here as Almighty would be better translated as All Ruler. Uh, stressing the fact that God is sovereign over all of his creation. Um, and, and that's really, again, a very biblical thing. Um, so, for instance, Psalm 33.9, um, uh, we read, He spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. Um, Psalm 99 um, the Lord reigns, let the people tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He exalted over all the people. Let them praise you great in your great and awesome name. Holy is he, the king in his might loves justice. And it goes on. Um, part of that, I think really, when, when they talk about this, he's uh, almighty God. Uh, he can and will do all that he intends. This is important because as his children, it reminds us that all that he intends for us will be realized. And so when it talks about what we have laid for us in heaven, our glorification, uh, that's not just God saying, I hope I can do this. He will do it. Um, 
and then uh, creator of heaven and earth. This is important. I think one of those things that in some ways it was important in one way for the original hearers of the creed and in another way for us, uh, for the original hearers, one, one of the reasons that they had to um, really uh, talk about God as creator was you had uh, this one uh, group of, again, Gnostic Christians who said, you know, physicalness is bad and, and the true God did not make the earth. That was either Sophia or the Dimager. And, and they created Earth to trap. Real quick, let let me just Orthodox break in for a second. When Matt says yeah. Gnostic Christians, if you remember what he talked about earlier, these people are on the level of Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons. These are not born-again Christians. They're merely calling themselves Christians, right. which is why Matt uses Gnostic Christians. You should read that as heretics, basically. But, I, I mean, not you personally, Matt, but you as the listener should realize Matt is talking about false Christians who are attacking the faith. Right. And, and, and it's good of you to point that out, honestly. Um, and, and so you had these early uh, heretics saying, no, uh, creation is evil and, and really messing with a core part of the thing. And so they push back and say, no. Uh, God is creator. I think in our modern times, we've kind of in some ways have diminished God's role as creator. And that really messes with a whole, a whole slew, slew of other things that the well, Bible and talks Matt, about. Maybe you can tell me, didn't the Greeks have a basic, <laughs> didn't they have a wing of thought that thought that matter was evil? Yeah. Yeah. That's and, and that's where Gnostic so Christianity is. I think sometimes, and I can't prove this, but I think sometimes some attacks on Christianity come from the world. They, it's like, it's like worldly philosophy is amalgamated into God's word. But just take Genesis for a second, you realize how. Re do you, Matt, do you hear that? Some kind of sound in the background. The, oh, yeah. Oh, my Technical thing. All right, my point is, so if you believe that matter is evil, you got a big problem with creation week then. God made everything good and perfect. Man, Adam and Eve are flesh. The animals are flesh. They're, there's no sin, and the trees are fine. Everything's fine. And when Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered the world, and the whole universe, now the Bible says, groans because of it. But so you can see how much that messes with Christian doctrine. And Matt's right today. You say, well, well, I, I don't believe that. But I do think God used evolution to create the world. The problem with believing that is that, yes, now suddenly you're friendly with the world and you can look like you're smart. But the problem is you've just undermined scripture. The whole idea in Romans 5, I can't remember we went through this on this podcast. I don't think so. Or so I, recently, I went through this somewhere else. I don't remember. But Romans 5 is very clear about sin came. Oh, no, we were talking about federal headship. I don't know if it was you, Matt, or somebody else. But sin came through Adam and Eve. Uh, you know, Adam and Eve sinned, but sin came through Adam. Yeah. Sin did not start in creation. In fact, God even tells <laughs> I know Matt disagrees with me here. Just Matt, be patient. In Ezekiel 28, he says to Lucifer, I made you perfect until sin was found in you. In other words, God's like, Satan, don't you dare blame me for being evil. I didn't make you evil. You you chose to be evil. And Matt and I disagree on Ezekiel 28. And I'm just mentioning that so that that's out on the table. Uh, but... Um, <sighs> But bottom line is, is that so when you introduce evolution, you've got thousands of years of animals dying where death wasn't introduced till sin. And so you've just totally undermined the biblical message. Yeah. You know, and I think it's also important that part of the idea of creation is that God made us in his image. Um, I really think that's a key, key part of the creation doctrine because it's also a reminder, by the way, that means that we're not, that God is not made in our image, which I really think that's something you see uh, with the, the crumbling of that. You see a lot of people want to try and make that out to be the case. Or even that we're you know, just animals. What we and the Bible makes it very clear yeah. that I mean, animals are awesome, but they are not made in God's image. 
Yeah. Um. But so anyways, I, I all that to say is that, well, we might think, okay, that's kind of a minor doctrine. I think it's rightly very much in, in all these creeds put right at the forefront. God is creator. Yeah. Um, now, real quick, um, realize that I, I think the statement here of, of kind of tying it with the father, um, the act of creation is a Trinitarian act, I think. Scripture is clear that each of the persons of the Trinity helped in creation, but I think it ultimately is an act of um, the Father commanding, and as Christ in various places speaks of his being, of his choice, sub, sub, uh, submissive to the Father, uh, that's kind of why they highlight the Father in this part of All creation. Right. Well, let's look briefly at the next line. Uh, and in Jesus, his only son. Of course, there is John 3.16, for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. First John 4.9. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. So uh, this part of the Apostles' Creed checks out with Scripture. Uh, and again, in G Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Uh, there are many verses on Jesus being our Lord, but I've chosen for our discussion today, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Going to quote it from memory, going to be probably a little off. Uh, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Put the mouth, oh boy, yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to try to say 10 because I, I, I'm going to screw it up. But again, can, what are you confessing? Jesus is Lord. That's what you're confessing. Uh, so that's also accurate. And there's a lot more verses than that. Who is conceived by the Holy Ghost? Luke 1.35. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Now watch closely. Therefore also that holy thing, because Jesus was God and man. Right, to, it's something Jesus wasn't exactly like me and Matt. He was all man, but he was also God. I'm not God. Matt's not God. That's different. I have a dad. Matt has a dad. Jesus was made by Mary and the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's how it, uh, it's what scripture is telling us here, which is born of these should be called the Son of God. Um, so, uh, born of the Virgin Mary. Okay. Uh, conceived by the Holy Ghost. Oh, and I did not quote any scripture there. I, I guess, and I, I know this verse isn't, I don't know. I think it's very clear. But in Isaiah, uh, basically, uh, Isaiah was the 714 Matt, a virginal conceived. Uh, you should call it the name of yeah. Emmanuel. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, some people don't like that. Uh, I think the only way, I don't know. I want to be real careful, but I, I think unless you're really embracing a Judaistic look at that text. I, and from a New Testament perspective, I don't know what else you'd be talking about because then Isaiah goes into his wife and she has a child. Obviously that's not the fulfillment. <laughs> you know, that's not, I think the argument is over Hebrew or something, right, Matt? Yeah, I, it, it's complicated. And um, I'll be honest, I haven't well, taken the time. And, and, to I, and I honestly think like though, if you look at the New Testament, I, I just don't see, I, I just, I think that is a stretch. I think that obviously here's the thing real quick. This is my one answer to how when people want to reinterpret the Isaiah thing to be young woman instead of version. Matthew, when he was quoting that verse, was quoting something that was an acceptable translation of that into Greek. If he wasn't, he would have had to have taken the time to explain it. Mm. He doesn't do that. He quotes it as if everyone, yeah, this is how we believed. Um, so I would say that most, that there was a line of people that that was indeed, they interpreted it as nothing more than a version should right. give birth. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, the, uh, so anyway, so let's, let's keep moving here. But yeah, we, so Matt and I, uh, again, Apostles Creed checks out. How are we doing on time real quick? Just checking out here. Hang on. Yeah, we're doing actually pretty good. All right. Uh, uh, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Now, if you were paying attention earlier, Matt was dealing with heretics. And again, they believe physical matter, that would be the human body, is evil. So the Christ spirit leaves and all this other stuff happens. That's ridiculous. 
uh, I picked one verse. There are many verses, but First Corinthians eleven twenty four. This is this is about Jesus and communion here. Paul giving the instructions, and he given thanks that he there being Jesus, he break it and said, "Take eat. This is my body, not somebody else's body, but my body, which is broken for you." This do in remembrance of me. So, I mean, even in communion, as we, you know, as we eat the piece of bread or the cracker or whatever you're eating, you're literally crunching that up in your mouth. And Christ's body was just broken up. Now, I, I guess his bones weren't broken, but he was beat up very badly, extremely badly. And so, yeah. yeah. So this is also very scriptural and very timely in their time period to bring out that, yeah, Jesus actually did. He was crucified. He suffered and died. Uh, and then it says, so again, it says, suffered under Pontius. Pilate was crucified, dead, and buried. Oh, uh, is that you back yet sending me something? Or that's... Oh, that's somebody else. Okay. Let me just, uh, I have a parishioner telling me something. I just, okay. Back to, uh, back to the task at hand. Um, so first Corinthians 15, three through four, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Again, this is perfectly in sync with what and uh, I'm using that verse also for the third day he rose from the dead in the Apostles' Creed. I, I think that could easily be easier. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt might want to address this more than I'm about to. I'm going to give you the bare bones, and then Matt can jump in if he so chooses. It says he descended into hell. Now remember, this was written a long time ago, and you know, but so I'm quoting two verses. Um, without going too much into it, uh, sometimes in the Old Testament. Um, what you're talking about, sometimes we talk about hell. Sometimes we're talking about Sheol. So sometimes when, you know, when some characters say, I'm going to go down, you know, they're not always talking about a pit of fire. Um, if you remember with the rich man, Lazarus, do you remember that, uh, father Abraham and Lazarus were on one side and there was this great gulf and the rich man was on the other side and paradise was wonderful. And, uh, hell was, was not wonderful at all. Uh, well, Luke tell Luke. Jesus tells a thief on the cross in Luke 23, 43. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. So, I mean, years ago, I went to a, a sister, a large sister church, great play. And they had Christ, I think it was an Easter play. And he's he's locked up and there's demons all around him. And heroically, he bursts his bonds. And it's it's amazing. And this light flashes down. I'm not mocking them. There are some believers believe that's how it went down. I, I think that that's really hard with Luke 23, 43. This day, <laughs> we're both going to be in paradise. There's that gulf. So uh, they might say, well, Pastor Rader, I've heard that Jesus did go over to hell. Yeah, it, it appears he did. I don't totally understand it. But in 1 Peter 3, 18 and 19, for Christ also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the spirit. And then 19, by which also he went and preached in the spirits in prison. Um, it appears he did go over to hell, but I do not believe he was actually incarcerated there. There is a big difference. Matt, you are welcome to argue with me yeah. if you would like to. My, my, my personal, uh, what I believe this is talking about is that it goes along with he was dead, that he descended into hell or Sheol in the sense yes. of he was truly dead. Now, now, your 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 ideas are, are perfectly okay too. This is actually a very debated portion, but I personally like the idea that it's speaking of the fact. And, that and I think that that is a died. very fair, and, and that's how um, I kind of look at it too. I mean, I would imagine uh, they might, when they descend into hell, they might be thinking of, you know, she all still exists at this point, you know. <laughs> so uh, I mean, when Jesus ascended, anyway, not after he rose. Obviously, things changed there. Um, <laughs> all right. So, so this part of the Apostles' Creed, as Matt says, is very controversial, but I don't think that it's necessarily heretical or bad as long as you know your Bible anyway and aren't, you know, aren't confused. It says he ascended right. into heaven, Ephesians 4, 8 through 10. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended upon high, he led captivity cap- captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it? but that he also descended first 
into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens. He might fill all things. Of course, this is a reference to Christ. This is in Ephesians chapter four. And so when it says, I mean, I, I didn't even, I mean, in a more obvious ascension would be the actual ascension in Acts. So, I mean, you know, th this is not heretical. Yeah. Matt, would you say that this is a fair explanation or? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, I think that this was a perfectly fine verse to use. Oh, yeah, no, Everyone absolutely. knows the Acts account. Uh, Jesus ascends and the uh, everyone that was gathered there looked so long yeah. the angels had to come yeah, and, and I mean, to stop us, looking. It would be amazing, even with everything Christ did, watching someone float up into the sky. I know we watch CG movies all the time, but in real life, yeah, that had to be something. He literally goes out of sight. And like you said, the angels are like, you know, what do you, like Matt says, what, what, what are you doing? <laughs> you, know, you got other things to be doing. Um, and then the Apostles Creed says, and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Well, this is very accurate. Um, I have Acts 7, 55 through 56 down, but for time's sake, let's just look at Mark 16, 19. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Now, Stephen actually sees the son standing on the right hand of God in Acts 7. But I think it's only because he's anticipating Stephen coming to heaven. I, I don't think that means that Jesus is required to sit at that seat every second until we're raptured. I, I, I think what it means is that is that is his usual spot. That's where he goes in the throne room. I mean, at least that's how I'm reading it. I, no, I'm no, okay if he right. sits there until we are raptured. Until he, I, I'm okay with it. I, I'm not mocking here. I just he says he's standing there. I don't think that that's a I, problem. That was a special vision for Stephen, and and so Christ was probably doing. Yeah, making I, a point. I, yeah, I, I mean, Christ least. is a person too. Um, I mean, I'm sure he gets up in the throne room and talks to me. I I don't know. I you know I, I imagine he moves around. I, I don't know that. I mean, I'm not into our Lord decides to sit. He can do what he wants. But, uh, that's my read on it. Anyway, it says from thence, he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Well, that's very biblical. Second Timothy four one. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead. It is appearing in his kingdom. Very biblical concept. I believe in the Holy Ghost. Many verses could have been used here, but I decided to use a verse about the Holy Spirit being a person. In Acts 5 through through 4, but Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Verse 4, while it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. So again, uh Holy Ghost is a member of the Trinity. Uh, he usually lifts up the Son. Sunless of the Father, but it doesn't mean he's not a person. And sometimes in the Bible, you'll see that, you know, I, uh, the, I believe when Paul was commissioned, the Holy Spirit was the one that talked to the men. It, it wasn't the Father or the Son. So, you know, it just, yeah. yeah. So the, believe in the Holy Ghost? Absolutely. Third member of the Trinity. Absolutely. All right. We're going to have to cut it off there. And hopefully we'll pick this up next week on what the creed means when it talks about the Catholic Church. Uh, Adrian will hopefully be doing a coffee break later this week, and uh, please tune in for that. Uh, but why don't we go ahead and sum this episode up real quick. As noted, a creed is a concise statement of beliefs. It's uh, simple statements to define uh, what we believe and really, in a true sense, who we are. The Apostles' Creed, I think, starts and focuses on the Trinity, on who God is. And I think that's really important because we need to get that stuff right before anything else. A lot of it might be what we consider elementary truths or, or stuff that we should already know, but nothing's wrong in saying, okay, let's actually uh, be clear on what we mean about this. And I think really in our modern day, the church really does need to define sometimes. When I say God, this is what I mean. When I talk about the Father, when I talk about Jesus, this is what we we mean. This is what uh, the persons of the Trinity 
uh, have done and continue to do uh, because there's going to be other people who claim to be Christian or part of the church that aren't. And it stems from right from the beginning that they don't know who God really is. They have a belief in a God. They have a belief in, in, in their idea of Jesus, but it doesn't stem from a biblical idea. And it doesn't stem, therefore, from who God is truly. Um, so I think the Apostles' Creed really is important, in part just to give us a nice springboard to say, okay, these are basic truths. These are things that we should be able to agree with easily. Uh, but why don't I go ahead and close us off with a word of prayer? Please join me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you at the end of this podcast, and uh, Lord, we do ask that as we reflect upon uh, the uh, intention behind the Apostles' Creed, that we really do uh, realize that these truths, which are in many ways elementary, are very crucial. That as Christians, when we speak of you as Creator, when we speak of you as Father, when we speak of your Son as as Lord and Savior who uh, died for us, that, and when we speak of the Holy Ghost, uh, the Holy Spirit, that we don't uh, think of these as just uh, uh, minor truths, but really crucial and important truths that are the foundations for whatever else it is that we uh, believe, that these truths are foundational because ultimately they're, they're based upon your word, and therefore it's a good mark for us that as we go forward in our uh, beliefs that they continue to be things based on the word. Lord, I uh, do want to thank you for just allowing Adrian and I the time to study these things out and to discuss them. And, and I give you the praise for that. And I pray that all those that are listening to us might be blessed by this time, uh, that this will have been a fruitful uh, time of learning for them. I just pray this in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Hey, thank you guys for joining us uh, once again on Biblia Scola. We hope you join us in our next episode. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Biblia Scola. We hope you continue to express the desire to know more of God and His Word. Please leave a comment if you have any questions on the discussion in this episode. Our desire is to educate and not sow confusion. This is a production of the Prattsburg Baptist Church and the Austinburg Baptist Church. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you.